0: Morning, church. I'm Robin Benson. I'm Melissa Benson, and we are going to give you the Bible verse today. We're covenant partners. Uh, Praise be. This morning, we will continue worship by studying Acts 1, 6 through 8. Acts is a summary of a new chapter in redemptive history, God birthing his church. Today's reading reveals how God's faithfulness to fulfill his plan offers the hope we will all long for. The strength we are all looking for, the purpose we all want to live for. Hear the word of our Lord. They then gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. All freshest grass. Grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the fields. The grass on the 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 our and the earth Forever. forever. Thank you, Bensons. Uh, welcome, church. Good morning. I add my greetings to all that you've heard today. Uh, would you be excited if I told you we're gonna have the kind of snacks that you had on the way in every Sunday, would you be excited? I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen. Uh, but isn't it fun to be back and to, to celebrate, kick off Sunday, uh, to be together? The Sunday school class is a new schedule. Uh, Sunday school classes were bursting this morning. If you're not a part of one, we in- really encourage you to, to jump in. Uh, it's, it's just Fun to see uh, God's people coming together. We love seeing all the families here, and just want to say this from the top: we love wiggles in worship. And so, if you've got a little wiggler uh, worshiping next to you, then just embrace them. Uh, Jesus says, "Let little kids come to me," and we want to practice that even in our worship. So. Uh, If you have Bibles, please keep them open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be unpacking it uh, together, just these uh, brief verses. Uh, These are actually the theme verses for our whole semester. Uh, You want to know what we're going to be studying uh, in our worship services, and we hope that you are studying and saturating on during the week and living out. We're going to be looking at this idea of being a witness based in the book of Acts. And and this is really the epicenter of all we're going to be looking at. And this morning, we're going to see three quick things. First, we're going to see that uh, this passage reveals to us the hope that we really long for. It's the strength, second, that all of us are really looking for. And then thirdly, it's the purpose, the purpose that we really, really want and are designed to live for. Luke, the doctor, is the one who wrote the book of Acts. He is a witness in himself. You can read his gospel, and uh, at the beginning of it, in the first four verses of chapter one, Luke actually says that he is testifying, bearing witness to the acts that Jesus did uh, when he was alive and when he was uh, teaching and in his death and his resurrection. At the end of Luke, uh, the gospel, chapter 24, Jesus ends, the, is recorded ending the gospel by commissioning his apostles, his disciples, to be his witnesses. And so Luke uh, is bookending his gospel on this idea of being a witness. And then he begins the second part of Luke's gospel, which is the book of Acts. um, And he begins it by refocusing our heart on being a witness. So we're gonna unpack this today, but before we go to the Lord of the word, would you please go to the Lord of the word with me in prayer? Let's do it, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your revelation and we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Uh, Our desire, Lord, is not to be inspired, but truly transformed, that your grace would grab us in ways that it hasn't before, and that your purpose would inspire us, and and that you would continue to make us new. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. First thing we're going to see is that this is the hope that we long for, all right? Now, the long for hope is seen in uh, in the scriptures, verse 6 of what we read this morning. They had come together. They asked him, that is the disciples, asked Jesus, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?' you know this desire for restoration this desire for victory this desire for peace this desire for this hope that things would be renewed into the way that they're simply supposed to be a unified kingdom with a king of kings from the disciples perspective and for us it's in a different uh, a different perspective all of us are hearing or asking questions, uh, is this the end of the age, right? I mean, we have wars, we have rumors of wars, we have famines, we have uh, pandemics and plagues, or we have turbulence, we have a lack of peace, we have riots. And if you yourself are not asking this question, then you definitely know someone who is. We long for this hope, and in fact, in unhealthy ways, A lot of our news and our media feed on the fear and the uncertainty that we have in this kind of gray period that we're in right now, gray zone. And it's understandable, it's human, it's natural, but uh, there's actually a theology that has developed that makes it harmful for people. In the 1830s, there was this man named John Nelson Darby, and he developed uh, what has become called dispensational theology. And dispensational theology uh, will divide history and redemptive history into different epochs, into different periods of history. And he would say, uh, and he taught, and it's way too common now, this is why I bring it up, uh, that if humans, if Christians can have certain actions, then that will actually obligate God to work. It's anti-covenantal. It's a distortion of Scripture, and it feeds fear and anxiety more than it does faith because it hinges all of history on the actions of humanity. So if we align with a certain country and we fight for it and destroy its enemies instead of love our enemies, if we seek to do something like rebuild a temple and reject the fact that Jesus says, I am the temple, and in the new heavens and the new earth— There is no temple when Christ comes back and Jesus Christ is the temple. It's really clear, but it ties to humans' actions in a way that obligates God and it actually distorts the way we're called to love people. It's much like Jonah in the Old Testament who was called to love the enemy of Israel, Assyria, capital of Nineveh, but he was so nationalistic and so racist and so classist that he went the opposite way that God called him to go, and he refused to bear witness. But the point in bringing all this up well, of course, God, God, and where he's going, because God's plan is going to go forward whether he uses you or not. You believe that? It's true. God did it. He used a whale for Jonah. I don't know what he's going to use for rebellious hearts today, but I hope it's not a whale. That would be awkward, right? Coming out of the river walk, that might hurt our economy a little bit if we got whales jumping and spitting people out at little caseria over there. It's like, whoa, all right not going to happen. But God's going to accomplish his mission. And it's feeding on this irrational, I mean, not this understandable hope, this desire. Lord, when are things going to be made right? When are you going to come back like you said? When are things going to be made new? And the disciples asked Jesus, now is this the time? Is this the time the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, well, you still don't get it even now that I've risen from the grave. He just refocuses their hearts. The focus isn't on the land of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, but the king who has risen out of the ground of the land of Israel, conquering the grave, who has defeated death, who took the curse and wants to give blessing. And the time of God bringing his purposes to bear are not for humans to know. It's exactly what verse seven says. Look down. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. God has fixed. The end, he's fixed the future. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will and purposes. And let me tell you something, in a world that's more and more exhausted and more and more anxious with more and more control freaks, that's good news. God's got this. His, the whole future is based on his faithfulness, his planning, and he will bring to fruition what he has promised. And there's a lot of freedom in that. It gives us the hope that we're longing for. We acknowledge it simply by saying, God is sovereign. and We get to surrender and trust his sovereign grace and trust that he is ruling history, his story. It doesn't, always look easy or feel easy but we know that god is good and a forever changing world we know god's character is unchanging and god has a plan we can seek first his kingdom seek first him and trust that everything else will be added And this is what the last part of this section says. If you have your Bibles open, we didn't read it today, but Jesus ascended into heaven. And while they were gazing there, men in white robes said to him, listen, men of Galilee, you stand looking into the heaven. This Jesus, pay attention, who was taken up from you, listen, into heaven, pay attention. He'll come again in the same way you saw him going to heaven on clouds. And that language is directly taken from Daniel chapter three, verse 13 to 14. And Jesus in the, uh, uh his messengers, his angels, are intentionally refixing our hope on God's sovereignty and his story and his grace. But we need to acknowledge it's the hope that we all have. And that hope is ultimately found in Christ. And then Jesus gives us uh, the strength that we're all looking for. Look down with me at verse 8. After fixing our faith back on the Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. Now, the disciples did not have everything explained to them as much as we want to know all the answers, as much as we want to be uh, uh, up to speed on everything possible, as much as we believe that Google can give us anything that we want. I mean, we can search anything. But God didn't explain everything to them. God is far less interested in you having all the answers than he is in you knowing that in Christ you have the power you need to live the purpose that he's created you to do. He says you will receive power. The strength that they needed would come from God's spirit. Externally, there are pain, there is pain, there is persecution, we have problems in this world, but God's people have the power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. And just a quick overview of just a few promises that God's word gives us about the Holy Spirit. All right? Promised by Jesus in John 14, a foretaste given to his disciples when he breathed on them in John chapter 20. It's the spirit of Jesus as described as the spirit of truth that leads us in the truth and convicts us of sin so that we can know God's grace and begin again. Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us and who helps us in our time of need. That's powerful. It's intimate. But he's also the one that makes us new. He conforms us more into the image of God. And Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, his spirit lives inside of you. Do you believe that resurrection power resides in the hearts of, of all who trust Jesus. That is power. And that is promised in the word. But not only that, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He prays for us and intercedes for us. He speaks to his people and he distributes God's gifts to his people. He reveals God's will. He unites God's people. He seals our salvation, Ephesians 1, and guarantees our inheritance the riches of glory in the present day. The word that Jesus says here, you will receive power. That word is dunamis in Greek. It's where we get the word dynamite. Dynamite! Remember that show, Good Times? I love that show. Dynamite. God gives explosive power to the believer. I was reading the news this week and I thought of a good illustration for this. And I don't know, uh, this is the most interesting crowdsourcing endeavor I've seen, but the Ukrainian army is crowdsourcing their weapons. You can actually pay to have a message written on a missile that is going to be shot at the Russians. And I have a picture of it right here. This one right here costs $3,000. Putin, (laughs) say hello to my little friend. And it was sent by the Sebrons in the United States of America, 2022. All right. Hey, we love explosive power. We love messages. The Ukrainian army's raised over $150,000 with this crowdsourcing. I don't understand it. That message literally dissolves in your funding, killing people. But that's what they do. And I think it's a good image because I want you to understand something. God has personalized a message for you. It is Far more explosive and far more powerful. And he drops it into the war zones of your heart where you are fighting for peace in times of turmoil, where you're fighting to show love in a world of hate, where you're fighting to have f- faith and not be navigated by fear. You're fighting to believe the promises of God and to cast your anxiety on him. He drops the missile, the powerful, pointed person of the Holy Spirit into your life. And when Jesus says, you will receive power, you literally have no idea what God gives you by faith and faith alone. Justification by faith alone. God's grace His unmerited richness at the expense of Christ. His sovereign grace that secures you in his love where nothing can separate you from his love. No height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor anything in all creation. Sealed by this Holy Spirit. The helper that will give you the power to live the purpose that God has for you. This is the missile of God's love that he drops in the war zone of your hearts. If I was really good uh, at like, you know, whatever that is, when you can change pictures, I would have like erased that and put like, Holy Spirit in your heart, but I didn't do that. (laughs) But let me tell you what I do a lot of. I talk to a lot of people that are experiencing carnage in their life because they're looking for power in all the wrong places. A week doesn't go by when I don't talk to people who are medicating through the pains of life, who are choosing to try to numb pain with alcohol or make it through troublesome and trial trial seasons by just watching entertainment, trying to disengage any way they can. People who are killing themselves, killing their families and their marriages because they're so insecure They've got to produce and perform and achieve. And they're just living by this scoreboard that'll never be enough and it will never be a win and it's killing them here. You see, true power, it isn't found in anything in this world, anything that you do, but it's found in God's grace for you, his love that is shown in dwelling inside of you when you choose to believe in Christ. This takes us to the third point, and that's the purpose that we all long to live for. Now, I need you to understand something when we talk about witness, all right? God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you for his mission. God doesn't need you for his work. God loves you, and he's chosen you, and it's best for you. You will find your highest and best in life when you learn to participate in his mission. It's a gift to you. And his mission is, is to be a witness. In this powerful picture of purpose, one of my favorite places is in scripture is in Acts chapter 20. Uh, this verse where Paul is giving his testimony. He says, I don't count my life as any value or as precious to myself, but if only that I may finish the course and the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is to bear witness. Paul's priority and the priority of Christians in general, disciples of Jesus, when we encounter resurrected Jesus and we put our faith in him for salvation and his spirit lives inside of us, then we get to testify to God's work. We get to testify to God's character. We get to testify to how God's grace has touched our life. And, and that is being a witness. Look, look at this. That's uh, what he says. You will receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When God's grace grabs you, you cannot really help but to go. Think about the woman at the well in John 4. She was grabbed by God's grace. And rather than define herself and her shame from her sin, she went to the village and told everybody about this love that she encountered. Think about the demoniac in Mark chapter two, in exile from all civilization because of the demons, literal demons that lived inside of him. So many, they were just called legion. When Jesus healed him, he wanted to go with Jesus and Jesus said, no, 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 no. Go back and to tell your family, tell your community all that the Lord has done you encounter God's grace, his healing power and his love. You just go and you tell people who God is, what he has done. And this, this word witness, it is a thread that runs all through the book of Acts. And we even talked about it last week in Acts chapter 20. And I'll spare you all these verses. I've already mentioned how it's a theme um, that runs through Luke's writings. But what I want to do now is show you how what Jesus does, he actually anchors this. Pay attention. This is unbelievably fascinating. He anchors every word he says in God's ancient plan. He doesn't say, oh, the disciples have done all this. Now we can usher in this new period of history. No. God is executing his plan, and he wants to use his people. Look how he does this. Uh, You will receive power. Now go back and you can read Isaiah 32, 15, and you will see that the spirit being dropped on God's people, given to God's people for the power of his purposes, it's part of God's ancient plan. You'll receive power, second, to be my witnesses. This language comes from Isaiah 43, verse 10. And God calls his people to be a witness in line with the servant. But this is his ancient plan, to receive power to be a witness, and in Isaiah 49, 6, he says it's too small of a thing that this light is the only shine for Israel. Don't hide it under a bushel. No, the prophet says, it needs to go for all the nations. So Jesus is explaining how this new epoch of history that is rooted and based in God's faithfulness and God's work alone is now giving a new power a personal power in the spirit and this purpose, not a purpose like God needs you, like, please execute. God's not in heaven going, come on, guys, please listen. Would you listen so that I can accomplish my purposes on this world? He's not doing that. He's telling us, I'm doing this. I'm doing a new thing and I want to use you. I want you to experience the dignity that you're designed for. The hope lived out, embodied, that you're created for, that my grace touches you in. A biblical witness is just the same idea of, being, of testifying in a, in a courtroom. You're paying attention to the facts of history, right? Jesus lived, he was crucified, he died, he rose again. The character of God, he's good, he's loving, he's faithful, he's promise-keeping, and his purposes are going to go forward. It's it's you testify to the grace in your life the own conversion and all through acts the encounter with the risen Jesus we testify about his grace grabbing us it's by grace we're saved not of works so no one can boast it's a free gift of God and I want to share it with you you know you say to me Mitchell you don't understand how timid I am you don't understand it's very difficult for me to be a witness you don't know who you're talking to God doesn't want to use me let me encourage you you're actually really good at being a witness how many times this week have you told somebody something that you ate that was really good and you're like, man, check out this food that I had, this restaurant that I ate with, you're good at it. How many of you all have been converted to a, I have a whole thing, uh, I don't have time about a Netflix series that I've been, or it's like Hulu, I think, I don't know. Uh, the, a new series that is like really just engaged me. And I t- you tell people about it, right? I love this. How many of you have posted anything on social media, whether you've snapped your location, posted something on Instagram, put something on Facebook, that post is a proclamation. That's you being a witness to an act of history, to an experience. And all you really need to do to find the purpose that God has for your highest and best, your fullness of life is to make a small pivot from your current practices that are about you and your experiences and allow the lavish love of God in Christ to wash over you, abiding in him that the gospel nutrients will come in and through your soul and bear fruit through you by just testifying to his grace. It's not a very long pivot, but let's get to some quick application as John and the, and the band come up here. First of all the sermon, I really want you to rest in God's sovereignty. You can have peace. You can trust in him in his sovereign plan. Hebrews 13, it's an unshakable kingdom. And no matter how much the world shakes, God's kingdom will not rattle out, fizzle out. There'll be no rubble. It will endure forever. It's eternal. Secondly, God's spirit dwells inside of believers and it's explosive. It's explosive power for true hope but really abundant life. I wanna encourage you to tap into that power in your life in Christ. Stop settling for just crumbs and stupid stuff. Third, share stories. Share stories of God's glory. Share story of where you see God working. If Jesus is really alive, then he's working. Just make a goal this week. Tell somebody about where you see Jesus working. Anybody. Just get the momentum going. Just tell somebody where you see Jesus working. Bear witness in your life, outside of your life. Uh, and remember the last thing. You're a part of something much larger. Larger. God is redeeming all of life. He calls you to bear witness, to testify in your Jerusalem, in your homes where you are, uh, in your... Judea, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your Samarias, outside your comfort zones in different cultures, and to the ends of the earth. God doesn't need you. His plans will be accomplished. Revelation 5 and 7, every tribe, tongue, and nation around his throne. Uh, But he wants to use you for your good in his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that the call that you have for us is rooted in your grace, and it's according to your plan. We thank you for the hope that we have in the secure sovereignty of your grace, but also the power that we have to live for your purposes. Would you help us to be a people, Lord, who actually believe? Jesus, help us in our unbelief, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.